Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. It's Christmas! Yay! It's Christmas, everyone. <laughs> and so today we're doing a little Christmas special. My name is Alan. With me, as always, is Gareth. Hello, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, yes, Christmas specials, mm. a fine tradition in the world of sitcom. Yeah. And so we will be looking at one. And we started our sitcom journey with Steptoe and Son. So mm-hmm. it seems nice to round out the year with them as well. So today we're not going to go into any really serious background detail. We're just going to look at one of the episodes and talk about Christmas and sitcoms a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, so the episode we're looking at is the very final episode that was ever put out. It's the last episode of series eight. It's called A Perfect Christmas. And yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about this because it's a Christmas episode. But it is interesting that this is the final ever Steptoe and Son episode. I mean, technically it's part of that series because they filmed them all together. But this was went out, you know, two months later that, at Christmas. Went out on Boxing Day in 1974. Mm. Uh, the, the show itself was filmed in October, which is why there is a line in the show that gets a big laugh. So, so where he says, oh, those program, those Christmas programs are filmed in October. <laughs> I guess it's a good laugh from the studio audience. <laughs> Speaking of October, we obviously did a bottom Halloween episode. And yeah. we, we kind of decided that we wouldn't do that again because there aren't really many Halloween episodes of British sitcoms. <laughs> but there are plenty of Christmas episodes, aren't there? Yes. Like I say, something of a tradition. And there's definitely a tradition of putting out a Christmas special, as in a special episode, sometimes a bit longer than Mm. the normal half hour Mm. at Christmas. Whether or not they theme that to Christmas does vary quite, quite greatly. Obviously, your your TV schedules at Christmas get a bit all to pot. So they the the you know the the powers that be do create spaces. I think it feels like it feels like a blank canvas. You know, the, all the mm. regular shows sort of stop and they can fill it up with whatever they want. And so they tend to go to, for, you know, the most com- the most popular light entertainers to do a show, the most popular mm-hmm. comedians, the most popular sitcoms. Yeah, yeah. You have to be you have to be a big enough deal that the, you know, BBC in this case go, hey, you guys produce extra material for us outside mm. the normal series. So, yeah, obviously you're going to have to be one of the bigger shows at the time. But. Yeah, we we do see examples of a Christmas special being incorporated into a series. So that might just be that the series ends mm. on the you know the fifteenth of December or something. So like, yeah. oh well, we'll stick an extra one on. We'll make that Christmas special. Uh, Time, gentlemen, please. That we looked sure. at, for example, they ran through December and January and Halloween, and so Richard Herring was writing them on the fly. Yeah. So he did a Halloween special, he did a bonfire night episode, mm-hmm. he did a Christmas and New Year's episode. So it might, if, if the timing drops perfectly, then you just do it anyway. But as we discussed with our Bottom Halloween episode that went out in January, uh, their Christmas special in Bottom went out in October. So yeah, yeah. sometimes the writers are just using it as an idea to work from and then sure. it doesn't work out in terms of timing. So there's all sorts of variables, I suppose. Well, I think the biggest factor, whether it's whether or not these episodes are Christmas themed, the big factor is that they are often, not always, but often longer. They're longer than the standard mm-hmm. 25 minutes. What do, you, what do you make of that as a concept? Do sitcoms benefit from that extra time or does it sort of dilute things? Well, I think we can talk about our experiences of film spin-offs mm. of sitcoms that sure. adding length does not necessarily translate all that well. Well, well, interestingly, when we talked on the on the when we did the film podcast about the Steptoe and Son movie, mm-hmm. we we kind of concluded that it was just three half-hour episodes loosely stapled together and and suffered for it. 
Whereas yeah. here we've got a, a 45 minute episode. It does sort of feel like that. This feels a little bit like a half hour episode with a little extra bit tagged on. Yeah, I think if you're sticking an extra 14 minutes on, like an extra 50%, but in real terms, that's 14 minutes. That's not so bad. Uh, mm. I think most writers could, mm. yeah, add an extra couple of gags in, a couple of set pieces, whatever. Then going up to an hour, that's like, okay, maybe yeah. we should just put two of our ideas together and make sure. them work together somehow. So I, I guess that depends on the writer, the skills of the writer. But also you are suddenly writing to a format that you're not used to. So it's not it's not something you just suddenly click into and be much sure. and and yeah. nail it perfectly. But if you're going to do it, do it right, you know. And I think in this case, the episode we're looking at today, it's about 43 minutes I guess uh, altogether and 39 minutes of that is one scene. It's one conversation. Yeah. And that is obviously what Golden Simpson were great at and we see that in Steptoe and Son a lot as opposed to very plot heavy, it's character driven. And so they can do that. So adding, give them an extra 10 minutes to do it. I don't think that's a big problem. The fact that they can make, make it interesting is the, is the skill. I agree. I, I think that we'll get into the detail of this episode. But essentially, as you say, it's a 39-minute step-to episode. It's just a slightly long step-to episode. It's them two mm. in their place. And, it, and it's great. It's really good stuff. And then there's, the, there's this sort of final add-on scene, which provides a bit of a punchline to the episode, which is not terrible. But it just, it just feels like, well, we didn't really need that. You know, we could have finished it in the yard and you know it just, it just felt like that was a, a step too far you know it just wasn't required well i i have a, a suggestion for a kind of a, a, a what would have been a slightly more satisfying ending because obviously golden simpson great writers mm. but i think i'm better yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you how i think well, can we, we'll, we'll wait till we get to the end <laughs> but we'll, we'll wait till we get to it <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you take us into the episode? Let's start talking about it and let's go through it in a bit of detail. Okay, so this, like I say, was the Christmas special 1974. In fact, just a little bit of background before we get into it. Uh, Steptoe had done a Christmas special in 73, so the year before. Mm. And that was not part of the series because the last series had been in 72. So that was like a, a bit of a stopgap, which again is something they do with sitcoms. If they haven't got a series out that year for whatever reason, availability or whatever, they'll just do a Christmas special just to kind of go, hey, everyone, we're still here. Don't worry, we'll be back next year with a new series. That was interesting, though, that it took, you know, they were nine years in before they did a Christmas special, before they did anything out of the normal series routine, actually. Mm. Well, perhaps the, I mean, we, you know, we talked about Steptoe not, not being the first sitcom, but being in many ways, you know, the originator of a lot of tropes and things. Perhaps, perhaps before then, before the early 70s, there weren't Christmas special episodes. Or, or am I wrong? Hmm. That's a good question. Off the top of my head, I can't give you a very satisfying answer. But yeah, that might be interesting to look at. Maybe we need the... to go away and do a bit more research as if we're some hmm. sort of experts. But, uh... <laughs> but yeah, that's a good question. We can answer that one next year. Yeah, yeah. When we do, when we figure out next year's Christmas episode, whatever the hell we're going to do, we can uh, we can answer that question and pretend like we knew all along. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so in this episode, it is set at Christmas, and Harold, as he often does, uh, wants to get away, specifically for a bit of winter, bit winter sun. Yeah. He doesn't know where. He's got his brochures, and my first response was this: was like, I feel like I've seen this before. <laughs> and I have literally seen this episode before. But I was thinking, you know, we are at the end of the series here. And they were starting to reuse some ideas. Mm -hmm. So I went back and looked into this. I was like, when, when have they done this kind of thing before? Go on. So series one, episode six, which is called The Holiday. <laughs> and that is when Harold 
he decides he's going to go away by himself and get away from from Albert, but Albert fakes a heart attack uh-huh. and uh, they have to go to Bognor. So um, <laughs> you know that's that's kind of the the punchline of that one. And then uh, in series five, there's an episode called A Winter's Tale, which we definitely talked about. It's the one mm. where Harold is going to go skiing. Yeah, that, that, but that one comes in with a different tone because Harold's very much like, no, I'm going. I don't care what you say. But that's because the punchline of that one is Harold breaks his leg and Albert goes in his place. Okay, so Albert right, ends up right. Going <laughs> and then, of course, we have the previous year's Christmas special, which is very similar. Harold books a holiday to Majorca yep. on his own. Well, actually, he was going to take a lady, but she dumped him. Huh? So he he's ended up going Poor on his own. Harold. And then uh, they do the usual kind of Albert emotional blackmail kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But in that one, that comes to a conclusion much quicker. And Harold basically goes, fine, fine, I won't go. I always knew I wouldn't be going anyway. Even when I paid for it, I knew I would never get away from you kind of thing. <laughs> he accepts it. Uh, but so then that leads into the second part of the, the the episode, which is he decides to spend his holiday money on a big blowout party, invite all his friends and kind of have a good time. So he's not just stuck there with his dad. Yeah. The punchline there, spoiler alert, the punchline there is Albert gets the chicken pox. <laughs> and so they have to isolate for Christmas and spend it oh, just very on twenty twenty one. Very twenty twenty one. So that was kind of I went back and looked at some other episodes. This is not a new idea from Steptoe and Son in, Fair in terms of Well, we're in you know, the end of series eight, you can forgive them for yeah. recycling the odd concept. <laughs> well what I, what I really liked about it actually when I went back and looked at those episodes was although it's a similar concept, they go for a slightly different direction and a different yeah. tone each time. Yeah. And so, but always within character, so it works. And even in this episode, you know, Harold comes back and says, "I'm going on holiday on my own without you." And Albert says, "Harold, you do this every year." <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, but then Harold says, "Yeah, I know, and you always ruin it. But this year, I'm going to prevail." Remember he, that. You know, he, he says, "He says I really want to get away for Christmas, and just to show you how serious I am, I'm even going to take you." And so, and so from the start, he's trying to persuade. Albert to, to go to these different places and he's trying to he's mm. trying to talk Albert what about this place what about that place and and you know there's a there's basically 10 minutes of them going through destinations and Albert yeah. throwing in objections and it's 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 good stuff man it's good stuff it's just, uh, they go we go all around the world conceptually with uh, with Harold he's, with his dreams of these glamorous destinations and Albert just poo-poos <laughs> every single one of them yeah, what do we what do we have? Where do, oh, he wants to go to Acapulco now. Okay, now I've written, he wants to go to Acapulco, and he said, "No, I don't like needles." Now I've got to be, I've got to be honest with you. I didn't get that until he oh. said the word acupuncture a couple of second, a couple of lines later. And oh, Ac- Acapulco! I get it now. I get it now. Was acupuncture was that a big thing in 1974? Then that's what I thought. I was thinking. I thought that seems like obviously acupuncture has been around for a long time, but in terms of your Chinese medicine, mate, it's ancient. To that, when did that reach a point in British society that you could throw that gag in? Well, in seventy four, apparently, and be happy that everyone's going to get it. Funnily enough, I noticed as well. I was watching an episode from nineteen seventy, and Albert. There's kind of an opening gag where Albert has done some yoga and he's kind of twisted himself up so much he's stuck. Ah, but that was I thought the same thing. thing like the people was yoga a thing in nineteen seventy that an, an Albert Steptoe would be doing <laughs> in his living room. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, when I, I blame the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? You might be right there. Actually, you might be. You might be <laughs> spot on there. The old Maharishi might have brought it back with him. 
So yeah, acupuncture hole is the first destination that we uh, we go and dismiss. <laughs> and the next one is Kenya. And Harold wants to go big game hunting. Can you imagine that now <laughs> on a primetime sitcom? Oh, let's go and shoot some game. That's that's beyond the pale now, surely. Yeah, it's not it's not as popular as it used to be, is it? Well, yeah. yoga and acupuncture and killing large animals. Very nineteen seventies. <laughs> when when we when did Kenya gain their independence? How far like away from that? It was in the. Then? It was not long after the war, like the Mau Mau rebellion and all that. So they would have been firmly independent by then. So was it was it a popular holiday destination for Brits? Well, I guess I, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's it's where you go on safari, isn't it? Like if you want to go on safari yeah. now, Kenya is one of the destinations that you might choose. I guess the difference is in 1974 when you went on safari, you killed stuff. <laughs> What's the biggest thing you've ever killed? <laughs> Oh, um, I'm, I think we're talking insects when I was little. I'm a, I'm a lover, not a fighter. What's the biggest animal you've ever loved? <laughs> I advise my client to take the fifth. <laughs> Funnily enough, I noticed in one of the previous episodes, like I said, I was looking at the uh, earlier holiday episodes in which Harold is looking at brochures again mm. and Albert... Uh, looks at a brochure of Greece and it's got pictures of, uh, you know, the Acropolis and things. He goes, look at it, it's all falling to bits. <laughs> Just... uh, so that was his problem with Greece. Um, so this is not the first time they've done this material. Or yeah, yeah. Countries. Incidentally, just, just uh, let's have a tangent here. Holiday brochures. Now, I remember, mm. I'm guessing mid-80s when I was a kid, my dad would go to the travel agents and come home with this huge array of brochures, not unlike Harold Steptoe does in this episode. Mm-hmm. They were like proper glossy, thick magazines of dreams. You know, Do you still get those? Or it's all online, it's all digital now, isn't it? Do you know what? I actually went to uh, a travel agent yesterday. Oh, well, so I, I just online. looked in through the window. I looked in through, well, I was, I'm looking for a specific, hot, like a, a, a destination that I want to do. So I was thought, I wonder if they've got any information. What, what's the destination, Alan? Iceland. Iceland? Oh, <laughs> freezing. <laughs> it's a land made of ice. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously I'm not Galton and Simpson, but go on. <laughs> so I'm I'm like, want to go to Iceland and do a proper good old do of it. So I was like, okay, well, let me try and find out the information. But yes, they had these big, fat, thick, like Yellow Pages style oh. uh, magazines. Although I did note that one of the ones I was looking at was dated 2019 to 2020. So, ah, it might be. A well, bit I guess they've just not published any with the. There's a pandemic on, you know. Yeah, there's no point spending the print. But I was thinking, like, you just pe- people just take these away. It must cost a fortune. Yeah, yeah, that's them. what I, th- I used to. Th- I used to, you know, I used to buy comics and you had to pay good money for a Beano. But yeah, you got these lovely, glossy, great photography, thick magazines for nothing. Obviously, you know, I understand how marketing works now, but, you know. <laughs> Well, Harold's brochures are pamphlets, really, aren't they? They're, yeah. they're not. Um, they're yeah. not big fat things. So I guess it was still early days for foreign travel. So the next, uh, the next destination that Harold suggests is the Alps, and obviously, obviously, uh, Albert's not not very happy with it. I don't. I don't really get. Well, this is maybe um, tells you something about me and the chip I have on my shoulder. I've never really got skiing. It's not just not something I've ever been attracted to. <laughs> but I, I, I can yeah. see why. Harold Steptoe might fancy it because it's you know it's a bit upwardly mobile, isn't it? It's a bit it's a bit nouveau riche. Mm. Well, I think it, doesn't he say you can't do that skiing? You'll you'll end up with a broken leg. Mm. 
and the, and so Harold retorts, "Well, we're just, we're not going there for the skiing. We're going there for the apres skiing, yeah. mate. Hot drinks in front of a log fire, chatting up the birds from all over Europe." Well, that I think that is a deliberate reference to a Winter's Tale, in which he's going to go skiing and breaks, and then he breaks his leg, so he can't go, and so now yeah. he he's scared of skiing. Yeah, yeah, just he wants to be in the ambiance. Yeah, he wants to be skiing community. He wants to be in that world. Yeah, just just as I mean, that, we've had eight series of of him desperately trying to get into a into the the, the level above. Yeah, well, he's he's talks about when when I'm in the right clobber, I'm classless. That's, that's what he says. Yeah, yeah. Which is, yeah, as long as I don't speak, <laughs> it yeah. could be anything. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The next, the next place he suggests is the Black Sea. Ew. Because <laughs> uh, Albert Steptoe is nothing if not a very literal man. <laughs> but but Albert says he went to the Soviet Union in 1919. Oh yeah, 003 and a half. <laughs> uh, and this this got me fascinated actually. So we get a little bit of information in this episode about about Albert Steptoe's war record. Is that something mm. that has been talked about much in the previous episodes? I'm guessing this wasn't a huge revelation. Yeah, it's one of those things that he drops in all the time, you know, when he was over. Well, we know he, we know he fought in the Battle of Mons in the First World War, but but this snippet of information is that he was in the British Expeditionary Force to Archangel, fighting for me country. In um, in 1919, which you know that's true. That is uh, that is something that happened when after the Russian Revolution, the the white the Russian whites who were the the old Tsarist forces, they got some help from other Western powers, including Britain. Like it, it seems like an oddly specific thing to assign to Albert Steptoe <laughs> that he was over in Ar- in northern Russia fighting the Bolsheviks. I don't know off the top of my head, like the information we hear about his. His military service. I don't imagine it's all that consistent um, because obviously right. they're not running back to check what they've said before. Not to mention, this is ten years after the first episode, but they haven't aged ten years. Uh-huh. And they're not supposed to have aged ten years. So the fact we actually get his date of birth in this episode, and That's right. Harold mentions that he's older than than he thought. You know. And Harold's age is certainly goes from about 37 to 40 over the course of 10 years. And what Harold was doing during the war, as in he was a child hiding under the stairs during during the Mm. bombing, or would he have been a teenager (laughs) during like he would have been? So that sort of thing does change um, uh, as they go along. So I don't know if I can expect too much consistency. So the next the next thing that he suggests is Sweden and Denmark and he. Harold piques Albert's interest there by saying they have live sex shows. What? <laughs> they actually, on the stage with everybody looking, <laughs> not over Christmas, surely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why he doesn't Christmas want to do that at Christmas because it's not wholesome enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a good Christmas line. is a time for family. <laughs> yeah. Then he suggests Majorca, as you, uh, as you pointed out. Did, did you catch Albert's objection to Majorca? Oh no, I don't want me pudding boiled in olive oil. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's uh, that sounds like a very nineteen seventies reaction to that foreign muck food that they serve over there. <laughs> I'm pretty pretty sure I've heard my dad say that within the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah, you might be right. Yeah, yeah. And then the last the last place that he suggests is Belgium. They've never done no harm to nobody. But apparently Albert's a wanted man in Brussels. He's still uh, he's still <laughs> wanted after a prank during the war where he uh, he interfered with the mannequin piss statue and knocked yeah, the Yeah, during the war off. during 
during the First World War. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's 50 odd years before. Like, he's still, still wanted, obviously. He's got to, they'd recognize him as soon as he walked down the street. Yeah. Albert doesn't want to go anywhere. What's he got? A Bogner. Yeah, Albert's very set on Bogner. Have you ever been to Bogner, by the way? <laughs> no, I haven't. You, you, you live down south now. We went to Bogner. We went to Bogner Butlins for a, I don't know, a weekend. Oh, yeah. It was like a 70s weekend or something many years ago. So I, it would be unfair of me to judge Bogner on the, on the, on the basis of Butlins. But it was a bit crap. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, a, it's an appropriate punchline for a, a crap holiday. Like I say, I, I was looking back at other things where they mentioned holidays. And, and this is not out of nowhere. Bogner is the standard place that Albert talks up all the time. So they're certainly consistent with that. Well, they live in East London, don't they, Steptoe and Son? And I, you know, I would have thought that um, if y- your classic East London holiday destination is Southend. So maybe Bogner does represent a sort of classy alternative. The king went to Bogner. What's wrong with Margate? Down to Margate. Don't get me started. <laughs> uh, so in, in series one, episode six uh, that I mentioned earlier, we have a very similar kind of back and forth about going to Bogner. Although in that one, he uh, Albert exposes the, the joys of Mif- Mrs. Clifford's boarding house. Mm-hmm. And here where he says that, he says Mrs. Boxwell's boarding house. Okay, right. So somebody didn't go back and check the episode no they made continuity. nine years earlier. <laughs> Honestly. If this, if this was Doctor Who, there'd be a website devoted to that. That blooper. <laughs> yeah, but you could explain it with time and all oh, that. Oh, yeah, timey-wimey. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about the physicality, especially of Harry H. Corbett, during this first bit of the episode? There's a, there's a real... there's a real um, like As I said, we're going through this. He, he goes through the destination. Albert objects, and, and we move on to the next one. But when Albert objects, Harold's reactions... Like, Harry H. Corbett does some great acting. He's, I love the way he sort of he sort of explodes with frustration and then and he just gets it all back in the bottle. Okay, okay. What about the Black Sea? And he moves on to the next one. And there's just this bubbling frustration. And he, I think he physically expresses that so well. Why that works so well is because Wilfred Bramble is so still yes. uh, and, and small. Yes. Um, certainly in physicality, like his face, he'll go big. And that works yeah. very well as well. That's a really good observation. Yeah, because all, all, the, all the way through that, that exchange... Uh, Wilfred Bramble's just sat at the desk. And let you say, yes, he's, he's, he's certainly gurning and pulling faces, but he doesn't really move. Whereas Harry H. Corbett is out of his seat and he's moving around. There's one point where he does a big Groucho Marx impression, which was very common in the 70s. And, <laughs> but actually, it's just a, an easy way of sliding through a crap joke. <laughs> Do it as a Groucho Marx. <laughs> that's acceptable. But yeah, like I say, there's a, it's big. It's a big, expansive performance. But we know, we know that Harry H. Corbett was very legit. In mm. terms of his acting, yeah. took him took himself very seriously, and I think that might well be an actor who is always giving himself business. He's always mm. finding something to do. Oh, you know what? I'm just going to ad lib a little bit with this dog. Yes. you know they've got a plastic dog there. Yeah, that was funny. That RSPCA dog, which they use as a swear box. Yeah, there's a good, yeah. lovely bit of business with that. Yeah, he does it a few times when he's doing mm. his Australian accent and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Like, that's not going to be in the script, is it? You're not going to write that no, in. No, I was wondering about that. you don't even know what the swear box is going to look like. As I was observing all of this stuff and making notes, I was wondering, I wonder, you know, what, how much of that is on the page and how much of it is just, you know, this guy, this actor has been inhabiting this character for nearly a decade. He will, he will behave as Harold Steptoe would behave. Yeah, I, I, susp- I mean, I don't actually know. I'm sure, actually, I bet you can get your hands on Steptoe scripts out there somewhere. But uh, I suspect, 
you know, Harry H. Corbett specifically being as he is, is going to be adding little bits like that in when you're rehearsing mm. and you're just going to, oh, how can I embody this character? Because they've just put, you know, there was an Australian accent. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's yeah. going to he's going to want to play with that a little bit. Sure. And you certainly don't see that from Wilfred Bramble. He's pretty much straight down the line. If he's doing something, it's because the character needs to do it, you know? Well, there's a the, the probably the best example of that is we we sort of transition. So that, well, they they decide or they agree on Switzerland. They're going to go to Switzerland, but I'm not flying. So they have to uh, they're going to have to get the train all the way to Switzerland. But um, mm. we then transition to uh, they're talking about uh, the cupboard under the stairs where he hid during the war when the when the bombs were raining down. He goes into the cupboard and it's just full of stuff. And basically, I guess the script says, throw all this stuff out and then we'll go through it. And we spend a bit of time just looking through all of this, all this junk that's in this cupboard. Now that, remember I was talking about how let's add 12 minutes to this episode? Yeah. That's what this feels like. Uh, Yes. You've got Harold playing with the number nine bus Mm. for a little two minute, three minute section there. That would, that could come straight out, you know, if you were trying to cut this down for length. Yeah. And that doesn't mean it doesn't work, but I'm saying you could cut that out and it wouldn't affect the plot particularly damagingly. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. But as so he goes into the cupboard and, you know, he's flinging this stuff out over his head and it's crashing into the room. And there's lots of noise, you know, there's, everything's crashing and banging. And like again, Harry H. Corbett's being very physical, very big. And Wilfred Bramble is sat there. He doesn't move, but it's just it's just really great steptoe facial business. You know, he's just mm-hmm. he's pulling faces and he's shrugging his shoulders and he's flinching as things are crashing around him. But but he never looks over. He's just looking in one direction. It's it's all in the face. It's it's it's, it's perfect distilled steptoe and son. <laughs> yes, yeah. Go, go on. So what what does he pull out of the cupboard? Well, we get this lovely nostalgic reverie as he goes through things. There's a there's a false leg in there. There's a ration book from the war. There's the number nine bus that you mentioned, yeah. which he has a as a play with, and he sort of goes back to childhood and enjoys, and he's sort of talking to the imaginary characters on the bus. Uh, what else did we have? There's a school cap. Oh, now this was interesting. A wireless license. That's from 1934. It's the most up-to-date one we've got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they've not paid one since then, yeah. Um, there's the Skinner's Arms Christmas Club. Oh, Christmas Club, yeah. Be honest with me, do you only know what a Christmas club is because of Arthur Fowler and EastEnders? <laughs> I, I do only know of them in retrospect. I don't really remember them as a thing. This is basically a, a, a local working class savings scheme. So you put a little bit of money in each week and it's you, you're basically saving up for Christmas. So you would then you were able to withdraw the money at Christmas and buy all your stuff and what have you. And of course, Arthur Fowler stole the Christmas club money. In, uh, in EastEnders, and he was never the same again. I like how you think I'm old enough to remember Arthur Fowler in EastEnders, oh, but God, not yeah, Christmas. Yeah, you're not that old, are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, how depressing. When you, can I ask you about Christmas clubs, right? Yeah. So obviously, it's your working class. You need to save up all year because you can't just take a big hit at the end of the year. Yeah. So the Christmas club, you, you give them two bob a week or whatever, and it all saves up. Yeah. But is it literally just putting a you know, whatever, a bank, but, but saved up. Is there any level of interest return on that? Is it is it literally know. just out of sight, out of mind? Yeah, I don't know. I think the purpose of it was to, you know, because people lived hand to mouth week to week. So so the purpose was just to put it to one side so mm. they couldn't, you know, they couldn't spend it. But I, I don't know. I, I don't even yeah. know who, like if Arthur Fowler could steal it, that suggests that he wasn't paying it in anywhere. But I think I think they're supposed to, you have a local person who would collect the money, but would pay it into an institution. So it's not under someone's mattress. That money was just resting in his account. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there's a small element of interest. 
was it not often like connected up with oh and then at the end like you get this particular hamper of stuff or whatever like you know you are sp you are paying into a company because they're gonna you're gonna get the the turkey you know whatever I, you know what i, I guess that, that there were probably different versions of it but my understanding is it was it was a cash it was just a savings account it was just a weekly mm. savings account and then you withdrew your money in december and you got your turkey or you withdraw your money in February, as in this as, case. <laughs> as did step to and son, all withdrawn in February. And that's it. That's perfect. While we talk about money, let's discuss their financial situation here. Because when Albert <laughs> says, can we afford to go on holiday? Harold says, yeah, we've got three pounds in the bank, seven pounds in the building society, and 79 pounds 80 in the swear box. <laughs> which, <laughs> which is... It's a good joke. Obviously, that's their Christmas club, <laughs> their way of saving yes. money. I do this now. I, I basically any coins I've got at the end of the day, they go. I just put them in the pot, and then I'll like when it's a nice amount, I'll cash it up and go and exchange it for real money. You know, get some notes. Uh, I got my holiday spends doing that. Well, you can tell you live in a city. I haven't used a coin since the start of the pandemic. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not kidding. I've 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 I've, had, I've used I've used about twenty pounds in cash in the last eighteen months, two years. Well, I have to go out of my way to use cash, so I've got coins to put in my little pot. <laughs> so, otherwise, I'd never say anything. Uh, but yeah, so they have a swear box, which I don't think has ever been mentioned before in terms of like as a running gag. I'm just surprised Albert hasn't broken into that and nicked it. Yeah, it must be well put together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. When did we stop getting little plastic dogs as charity boxes outside of shops? I I think it is when people figured out that it was all right to steal them. <laughs> all right to steal them or they could get away with it? No, it's, it's not all right to steal anything, Alan. But but I think something for charity would have had a bit of a taboo attached to it. You wouldn't you would never steal the little blind boy from outside the shop. But yeah, I think probably yeah. people would now. Well, I remember just to bring a sitcom reference in. There's a there's an episode of New Statesman. Uh, which would have been late 80s, I guess, where Alan Bastard is going around stealing charity boxes and then smashing them with an axe. Just yeah. But obviously he is a disgraceful, uh, immoral person. Exactly. So they still had them in the 80s, I guess. Is it is it possible that we can blame the demise of charity boxes outside shops on Thatcher? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you who we blame. Comic Relief. Yeah. We have, a, we have a big blowout for charity. I'm not giving money on the way out of the shop as well. Come on. Yeah, you phone up and you do your pledge now. It's cashless society. <laughs> it is. That's the trouble. <laughs> What's a holiday cost in, in the 70s? Because in the one of the earlier episodes I watched, they said he, he paid £40 to go on holiday. And in this one, they've basically got £80 saved up. To yeah. go away. Yeah. Oh, so the year before he's paying off the balance and that was like 80, 90 quid or something he was playing to Frank Thornton. So what was 80 quid in 1974? Like what, what are people spending for a, for 10, 10 days away? Because I've just been away to Tenerife for 10 days. So I've got a, I've got a frame of reference here. But I, I feel like a foreign holiday would be proportionately more expensive back then because now it's all a bit more streamlined and air travels cheaper and stuff like that. Well, look, I have got here uh, an, an inflation calculator, which I, I think I might have used this when we talked about Step to Unsung last year. Mm. <laughs> it's the same yeah. website. So £80 in 1974 is approximately equivalent to £976 in 2020. That's a lot of money. So they've got, so, so that means that they've got the best part of 800 quid in that swear box. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, <laughs> seems right. So let's just finish <laughs> off the things that that um, the Harold finds in that cupboard because there's a Scottish oh, Widow's yeah. Life Insurance certificate, but then crucially, there's Albert's birth certificate. So as you mentioned earlier, he's older than he said he was. He was born in 1899. His name's Albert Ladysmith Steptoe. Do we know that? Yes. We know that he's yes. middling. I think that's a well-known thing, but I think it must have come up before because it didn't get a laugh. So no. <laughs> I, I think it was interesting, but I, I didn't know that one. Okay. But the crucial thing that Harold finds on the birth certificate is that his father is unknown. Ooh. Now, <laughs> I can't believe my dad is a... Puts 10 pence in the swear jar. Very good stuff. <laughs> I, I tell you what, though. I think this is, this is interesting sociologically. It's interesting that in 1974, it was still controversial enough to be illegitimate, but mm. funny. Whereas I think perhaps in 1954, it wouldn't have been a matter for joking about. And in 1994, it just wouldn't have been a big deal. Yeah, I mean, even Albert says, you know, that was a bad thing in those days. Yeah. Like he does say it in, in that way, as in it's, I know you, you're all just living under the broom now, or whatever yeah. the phrase is. Of a brush. <laughs> that's living of a brush, lad. Brush, that's it. That's it, yeah. And, uh, and having illegitimate children all over the place. But in 1899... Whew, that wasn't done. Yeah, well, like I said, I think it's interesting that it's... like I don't think you'd make that joke now. It just wouldn't be funny. Well, okay, so, you know, your mum and dad weren't married. No big deal. I've just watched Lucky Fella, uh, mm-hmm. which was made in 1976. And one of the major kind of plot through points of that is that Cheryl Hall's character gets pregnant. And so she has to try and ensnare David Jason's character yeah. into a quick marriage before, so that she can go, ooh, premature. Before she's a ruined, fallen woman. So even in that, it was still worthwhile, you know, as a plot that she would want to make this legit uh, yep. rather than just go out on her own. Yeah. So, you know, 70s is a complicated time. It's all mixed mm. up, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We, we then basically move. So as we said earlier, you know, it's 35 minutes here in, in their home with this back and forth and it's classic Steptoe. And then suddenly mm. we have this... We have this final scene tacked on at the end, which is them at the train station. Inc- incidentally, Alan, before we talk about the scene in a lot of detail, did you know that you could catch a train to Switzerland in 1974? <laughs> uh, I didn't until I watched this, but you can't yeah. now. Well, you see, you again, this is a difference in our this, age. But... I remember the Channel Tunnel like being built, being dug, being opened and being a thing. Before that, you know, you had to get on a boat. But what I didn't know is that you could get on a train and it would take you to the ferry and the train would roll onto the ferry and then mm. you would roll off on the other side and on you would go yeah it's fascinating really isn't it yeah uh, 11 hours london to yeah. paris i think it was well apparently i, I looked it up it, it started running in the 1930s and obviously stopped during the war but but you know it, it kept going until 1980 which did make me wonder you know the, the channel tunnel didn't open until the 90s so what did you do what did you do in the, how did you get to dover <laughs> i guess that was the that was because more people had cars then yeah, yeah, I think that's probably straightforward. They yeah. should have took the horse and cart on the on the ferry. Yeah, yeah, that would have been good. Yeah, that would have been very step two. So, like, anyway, let's get back to the episode. So now we are at. I actually wrote down in my notes we're at an airport because I, I, I looked. It, it sort of has the feeling of an airport, but of course it's not. It's this. It's Victoria train station, but it's the international departures uh, mm. area. And the first thing to note is their wardrobe, what they're wearing. Do you want to tell us what Harold's wearing? A big blue parka, isn't it? Like, thing, like a big puffer jacket thing. Big blue ski jacket. Oh, this is this yeah. is the 1970s. They didn't have puffer jackets. They didn't have puffer technology, mate. But they had, <laughs> oh, he's got so a big blue 
<laughs> nylon looking jacket on and a red woolly hat that's worn in <laughs> a, a very sort of jaunty way. Whereas Albert, Albert, what's Albert wearing for his holiday, skin holiday in Switzerland? Uh, let me think. If he's <laughs> a British man abroad, it'll be a three-piece suit. It's a three-piece suit with a lovely long <laughs> smart coat on. A brown suit. Has he <laughs> yeah. got a handkerchief on his head? <laughs> <laughs> it's not that sort of holiday. What was I watching the other day? Oh, I watched I watched an episode of Poirot the other day. Mm-hmm. And Poirot and the other supporting characters were walking around Egypt uh, in a three-piece suit and a tie. <laughs> yeah. It's been insane. You don't want Johnny Foreigner to see you off duty, do you? <laughs> in your smalls. So, um, oh, incidentally, so, speaking of Johnny Foreigner, there was a, a line earlier when we were talking about destinations where Albert, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say this, Albert called Europeans white wogs. Yeah. That was an extraordinary phrase. I've never heard that before. It was a different time, I know, but still. I really want to be racist against these people, but they're not a different race. How can I get around this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was interesting. So, well, I, um, is the, uh, the um, I'm not xenophobic. I just hate people from other countries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, quite, I was quite impressed that xenophobic was a word. In the, uh, yeah. I thought that was one of those words that had been invented by younger generations. <laughs> Just by comparison, the previous year's Christmas special, it opens with Albert, you know, sat on his own making Christmas decorations, singing, Enoch's dreaming of a white Christmas. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Topical comedy. Let's finish this damned episode. So, th- th- we get two punchlines, basically. As they're about to leave, what feels like the first punchline is that Albert goes through and he's he's rude to the, the guy on, on passport control, but he goes through and he's on his way to the train. And then Harold's passport is out of date and he can't go. Mm. And, and, you know, I fell for this, this uh, pullback and reveal. I thought, okay, that's it. Uh, Albert's going to go on his own. Harold can't go. Poor old Harold. He always gets thwarted at every turn. But then we get the real punchline, which is that, Harold goes outside and he's got a girl waiting for him in a car and they're off to Bogner. Uh, he's got rid of his dad. I was genuinely, I was like, that was a great punchline. I didn't see it coming. Yeah, I really like it. It's a nice little twist. I think, especially given that this was the last ever episode, it's nice that yeah, Harold... Yeah, it felt like he's finally won. got one over on his dad. Yeah, and you know, obviously it's just a temporary thing that's going to come back, but he's he's got a sports car. He's got a lovely lady. She's driving the car, so it's probably hers. So mm-hmm. she's got a bit of money. He's finally happy. He's gone up in the world. <laughs> They're off to Bogner. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's won. And so it was nice, actually, to go out on that. I really liked it. And it works as a twist because the whole setup for the, the whole episode is like, oh, Albert doesn't have a, a passport, so we're going to have to sort that out. And then it's like, aha, but your passport's out of date, you know. Yeah. It, it just works nicely as a gag. And then the twist. Yeah, really nice. Here's what I think would make it better, though. Okay. You you, you workshop it up for us. Well, I think my my main problem with it is that it's all just happens a bit too quickly. Mm. And and that's what makes it feel like an add-on. Whereas I think you want to incorporate into the episode. Because what I want to see in that is more of the fact that Harold can't go. And so Albert's going to go on his own. I want Albert to rub his face in it. I want him to be like... uh, And I want Harold to be like, oh, well, you know, you're not going to go without me, are you? I mean, you just... 
no, we'll spend Christmas together, right? Give him a taste of his own medicine yeah. so that Albert can then go, all, all this stuff Albert's been going, oh, no, we should spend Christmas together. We always spend Christmas yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. As soon as he's got the opportunity, he's like, no, I'm off, mate. See you later. Which is basically what they do. But I would have liked to have that bit of back and forth between see, them yeah. and really saying. let Harold rub it in. And perhaps the reason they didn't is because they this little extra scene is so short because it has to be because it's, they, you know they've spent so long in 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 the main and the main scenes, yeah. which I you know which I'm saying is good. But perhaps if they just allowed that that additional scene to breathe a bit more and given it a little bit more room, that could have that could have happened. Yeah, yeah. Just another four minutes would would be mm. fine. Just like one scene between them and yeah. like hash it out and really let really let Albert's nastiness come out a little bit. Like where you know he's just being selfish. You know what? It's it's a it's a real shame. Golden Simpson didn't have you on hand. They could they oh, might no, have got a ninth cool. series. Yeah, <laughs> if only they had your <laughs> skills. <laughs> so yeah, so that's Christmas Steptoe Christmas really. Do you know what? I really enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed it. It was uh, like uh, the the reveal punchline at the end made me laugh out loud. But all the business, uh, all the holiday destinations, all the stuff that he finds in that cupboard, and like you said, the bit that they could have cut out, and they you feel like, uh, it feels a little bit like filler, but it's just good Steptoe business. It still works, it's good stuff. It, it, what it's it is, great. Yeah. I would really recommend people have a look at this episode. And it is nice that this was the last episode. They still had it. You know, they still knew what they were doing. The characters are consistent throughout. And you get a bit of taste of everything. Yeah, like you say, you've got all the comedy stuff. You've got the the dialogue between the two, mm. the physical stuff you've been talking about. I love a bit where Wilfred Bramble goes into his, oh, Harold, you're not actually going to leave me on my own, are you, kind yeah. of bit. And he, But he does it so well. Like, I know he does it every episode, but he does it so well. Yeah. Where he goes into that place where he's like, oh, I'm actually doing proper emotional stuff now. Mm -hmm. I really like that. I remember you saying when we talked about Step 2 and Son, something that really stuck with me was was the way that Wilfred Bramble could switch between that that sort of big overacting, the character faking it, and mm. then suddenly the character being sincere and genuine. And Wilfred mm. Bramble was so good at just switching, just changing gear. It's so big as well. I don't know how he gets mm. away with it. <laughs> but also, you, you do get that little bit of topical politics. You know, they... they you know, he's talking about how it's a joke to be British abroad these days. Yeah. You know, they're, they're sort of bringing in elements. And, uh, you know, they don't dwell on it much, but they they always did that with Steptoe. Just dropping yeah. in a little bit, and especially with the class mm. culture difference between the two of them and all that sort of thing. There's always just enough of that to inform them as characters without it becoming a big deal. Mm. Yeah, it's got a little bit of everything, this episode. It's a, it's a really great one. And it's 10 years in, like they were still, still doing it, still yeah. knocking it out. Yeah, still got it. Well, I hope all our listeners have a great Christmas if you're getting the night ferry to Switzerland or just going back to your family. You may never, you might not be able to. <laughs> At time of recording, Christmas may oh, yet yeah. be cancelled. Yeah. The night ferry to Switzerland <laughs> might be shut. But, um, you know, whatever, whatever you're doing at Christmas, you know, I hope you watch some good Christmas telly and yeah. maybe get on YouTube or the Daily Motion and watch some old Christmas sitcoms because there's plenty of them to go at. So yes, Christmas obviously brings the year to a close. Our first year out here as, as a podcast. Mm. Thank you very much to everyone who's listened to our, our first two series and all the extra stuff we put out. We will be back next year, of course, with even more sitcom fun from the last... Yeah, Oof, what we're going now? 60, 70 years of British mm. sitcom. We will be journeying through the decades, as always. 
We are at Britcom Pod on Twitter and Instagram, uh, and we on Facebook. If you just search for the British Sitcom History Podcast, you'll find us. And you can watch our content on YouTube at British Sitcom History. Uh, that is the podcast with some video elements just added in for extra context, but also some other videos and extra content on there as well. So please do go and check that out. And thank you very much for listening. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we will see you again in 2022. Merry Christmas.